Welcome back to the PKD Dietitian Podcast. I'm Diana, your creator and host. I get asked a ton of questions about ketogenic diets and polycystic kidney disease. That's good. I love questions. They tell me where you, the PKD community, are looking for more info on, clarity around, and support with. Well, guess what? All that information about keto doesn't fit into one podcast episode. Instead, you are getting over this next month a three-part series on ketogenic therapy. And here is what you can look forward to. Part one, which is today, I am going to start with the story of keto. After that, I'm going to get into, in an easy to understand way, the basic science and terminology around ketogenic diets. And of course, we will look at why we are even talking about keto and PKD, why it's a thing at all. And I'm going to wrap up with some of my most frequently asked questions and answers. Find out my answer to, can you do keto with PKD? And also, should you? Stay tuned until the very end where you'll get a preview of what's to come in the next two episodes. I want to start today with the story of the ketogenic diet and walk you through where it originated and how it progressed to what we know as keto today. More specifically, ketogenic diet therapy, because there is a difference. Ketogenic diet therapy has been around for over 100 years, and ketogenic diets were originally used to treat epilepsy in the early half of the 1900s, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. As far back as 400 BCE, documented by Hippocrates, fasting was used to help treat epilepsy. In the early 1900s, fasting was also documented as being used to treat epilepsy, and there are pretty impressive results showing less frequent seizures and even seizure-free patients. And remember, at this time, there were no anti-seizure meds yet available. The main drawback of fasting, no matter how successful the treatments were, was that continuous fasting to treat epilepsy was not sustainable and the benefits were only during the fasting window and not long term. Then around 1921, ketones like the one you might have heard about BHB or beta-hydroxybutyrate, were identified and observed to be present both when someone was fasting and when someone was following a lower-carb, high-fat diet. I will come back to what a ketone is in a little. It was also around 1921 that Dr. Russell Wilder, who worked at the Mayo Clinic, proposed that a low-carb, high-fat diet be an alternative to fasting as a way to help control epileptic seizures in kids. Wilder called his diet a ketogenic diet. He suggested it would be easier to sustain for longer periods of time, but also that it would provide adequate calories and protein instead of limited nutrition. It was meant to mimic fasting, 
by producing ketones. This was the theory. It wasn't until 1925 that a physician named Dr. Peterman defined exactly what a ketogenic diet was. He broke down the different components and nutrient ratios. All of this was based on Wilder's theories. After this, trials began with epileptic children. Those calculations for the original ketogenic diet therapy pretty much stand today. And those were about one gram of protein per kilogram of weight, body weight a day, 10 to 15 grams of carbs a day, and the remainder of calories was from fat. So this was the original, very restrictive ketogenic therapy to help treat epilepsy. In the 1920s and 1930s, ketogenic diets, because of their very positive results, were widely used in the medical field to treat epilepsy. But they fell out of favor when, in the late 1930s, a new anti-seizure medication named Depakote came on the market. After that, the medical focus became developing and using medications and not ketogenic therapy. Fast forward to 1994, on Dateline of all shows, an episode aired called Medical Secrets. The episode was about a two-year-old epileptic boy named Charlie who was not responsive to any medications and his quality of life was absolutely horrible because of the amount of seizures he was experiencing. His father, as a desperate last resort, found information on ketogenic diets from way back in the day and started him on one. And guess what? Charlie quickly became seizure-free. This Dateline episode was the spark that renewed interest in keto and brought it back into the mainstream. Shortly after this episode, the Charlie Foundation for Ketogenic Therapies was founded. And you can find links to this information in the show notes or any of the studies that I'm referencing too. There is even a movie that was put out starring Meryl Streep called First Do No Harm that was based on Charlie's ketogenic journey. All of this helped create widespread awareness and interest in ketogenic therapies. And they're back in the mainstream now with a big uptick in popularity with real research all the while with media-generated and magazine versions of ketogenic diets, which were primarily promoted as really good solutions for rapid weight loss. I know what you're thinking. Where do dietitians stand on keto? And this really is a mixed bag. And I find it's mainly because of misinformation and lack of education or interest in ketogenic therapy with in the dietetic field. However, there is a practice paper and a protocol for dietitians published by the American Dietetic Association on using therapeutic ketogenic diets for the treatment of epilepsy. Then, around 2019, a paper was published by Dr. Jacob Torres and Dr. Wimes. This paper reported the positive impacts of ketogenic therapy on PKD in animal modeled experiments. This is when ketogenic therapy was introduced to the PKD community and many folks I have spoken to after this attempted to start a ketogenic diet on their own. 
let's get into what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet, and I have that in parentheses, is an umbrella term used to describe many different eating patterns. These days, there are lots of versions of ketogenic diets like Bulletproof or Dirty Keto and even Carnivore. Well, you get the idea. All quote-unquote ketogenic diets have one common goal. That goal is to limit carbohydrates while increasing dietary fat in order to achieve something called ketosis. I'll get into ketosis more in a little bit too. There are a lot of differences between all the different ketogenic diets, especially around recommended carbohydrate and protein intake. There are four different therapeutic ketogenic diets. When I say therapeutic, I mean they are used medically with specific disease states and conditions in collaboration with and monitored by a professional to treat these disease states and help. Each has a bit different ratio pattern when it comes to carbohydrates and fat. Now, I'm not going to get into all of them at this time, but what you need to know is that there is a difference between therapeutic ketogenic diets and what I call media and magazine keto. Media and magazine keto diets are the ones that promote rapid weight loss, they're advertised as a cure-all, and they glamorize heavy meat intake. Ketogenic diets, traditionally and therapeutically, are moderate in protein, not high. This is a huge misconception around them in the renal world and pretty much with the majority of the mainstream population. Adkins and Bulletproof are both ketogenic quote-unquote diets, but I like to refer to them as keto. Both promote, based on their macronutrient profiles, heavy animal protein intake. This isn't a good dietary pattern for anyone, let alone for kidney health or polycystic kidney disease. A high-protein diet can be both a cause of and a contributor to kidney injury. When I say the word macronutrient, if you're not sure what that is, simply put, macronutrients are protein, fat, and carbohydrates. They are the nutrients that we tend to consume in larger amounts, which are the common energy sources that we use for our body. That's a nice segue to looking at our bodies and how they use energy. Our bodies use two main energy sources, glucose and ketones. Glucose is the simplest energy source for our bodies to use. It's an easy to use and often abundantly available source of energy. You may be asking, where does glucose come from? It comes from the digestion of carbohydrates. Every carb we consume, not including fiber, of course, gets broken down into glucose during digestion. Regardless of if you are eating Skittles or natural carbs like those in a peach, the end result of digestion is blood glucose, blood sugar. 
And of course, the amounts and how quickly it happens varies. Now, don't mistake that Skittles and peaches are nutritionally equal or contribute equal amounts of glucose. It's just an example of where all carbs end up. They end up as glucose, also known as blood sugar. Our body's second go-to energy source is ketones. When glucose, that blood sugar, isn't readily available for use, like when someone's following a lower-carb diet or even when they're sleeping overnight between meals, our bodies switch over to a different energy source, and that's fat. Fat is converted in our livers into ketones, which are then used as an energy source. This is a natural body process. I like to think of ketones as little fat energy nuggets. Now you know a bit about the history of ketogenic therapy and the body's two main sources of energy, glucose and ketones. So let's look at what ketosis is and what it means. Ketosis is a metabolic state. That just means it's how and what your body is using for energy, for its normal body function, and its processes. Ketosis means that ketones are present and your body is using fat, those ketones, and not glucose as its main energy source. So to sum it up, ketosis is when you are using fat as fuel to make ketones And those ketones are your body's main source of energy. In terms of a ketogenic diet, here's the flow. First, a reduction in carbohydrate intake, all the while increasing fat intake. With less available carbs, there is less available glucose. And the body naturally switches over to fat for fuel and makes those ketones. With those ketones present as an energy source, the body is running on ketones, and that is called being in ketosis. There are all different levels of ketosis. There's different levels that are for epilepsy, there's different levels for nutritional ketosis, and there are levels that are too high. Figuring out ketone levels is most frequently done with a ketone meter, like for example, Keto Mojo, a little pinprick, and measuring the levels of ketones in your blood. Looking at nutritional ketosis, for all those number folks out there, what that means is that someone is running on ketones, they are in a state of ketosis, and that starts at 0.5 millimoles per liter. Now, if that went over some of your heads, that's a-okay. For those of you out there that are checking ketone levels, that is where nutritional ketosis begins. Research and science continue to show us that the cells involved in PKD, those same mutated cells that cause PKD, have been changed. That change impacts how those cyst cells use energy. And when I say use energy, that means how they use glucose and how they use ketones. PKD cells essentially have a re 
hardwired metabolism. How they grow, how they survive, how they multiply is different than any other cells in the kidneys. PKD cis cells favor glucose for energy. I like to think of them as being somewhat of having a sweet tooth, being a little bit of a sugar addict. They are essentially dependent on glucose for growth and survival, and this makes them different from any of the other kidney cells in that they don't do well when they're given ketones as an energy source. All the other cells in the kidney are flexible. They can use both glucose or they can use ketones. The theory and belief is that if you reduce access to glucose, you cut off the cyst cell's energy supply. Thus, you're reducing or even eliminating their growth and multiplication, essentially helping to stop or slow cyst growth. So that's the theory, but what has science shown us? Here is what we have. We have preclinical, that means animal studies, and what that has told us about ketosis and PKD is that with ketosis or having ketones, those energy nuggets present, a reduction in cyst size and kidney size was significant. That cyst growth was slowed or even reversed when looking at younger animals. Essentially, they had leaky cysts. With all of that, there was improved kidney function, a smaller kidney size, and they even saw a reduced kidney scarring in the tissues. We also know from science that with diabetes and obesity, there is a significant association with excess available glucose, so excess energy, and that with PKD, both having diabetes and obesity, there is a connection to faster progressing PKD, larger total kidney volume, so larger kidney size, and worse outcomes. A reduction in calories, which automatically reduces energy glucose availability, is connected with improved kidney function related to PKD. And this was really looking specifically at study participants who carried excess weight, not folks who were a healthy weight who reduced their calories. I wanted to really reiterate that. There's exciting research happening in real time and the results coming out of Italy, Germany, and even Colorado showing positive outcomes regarding the feasibility of ketogenic therapy for PKD. I do want to note several of these studies use high-protein intake diets for a short period of time and or very long fasting periods. Neither of these are recommended or good long-term for PKD. By the way, did you know that the PKD Foundation is a funding a lot of this work? I like that. I just wish that they were open and transparent about opportunities you have for combating your PKD and in directing you to where you can get help. Following a kidney-friendly ketogenic diet is absolutely doable with PKD. I am speaking from years of experience 
having been the lead to develop a plant-focused ketogenic diet protocol that is kidney-friendly. This same protocol was used in the Renew program, and you can see the results published from that beta program. I've linked it out in the show notes if you're interested in learning more, and make sure to check out that first author. Okay, back to business. I had a little bit of a moment there. It's a really exciting time to be involved in the PKD community and the science around nutrition and how it can positively impact the progression of PKD. In summary, the goal of ketogenic diet therapy is to mimic the activity of fasting and produce ketones. It was first introduced as nutrition therapy for treating epilepsy. Getting into ketosis is a natural process where the body shifts from using blood sugar, that glucose that comes from carbohydrates as its main energy source. It shifts to using fat for energy and producing ketones. A ketogenic diet reduces carbohydrates, thus limiting that blood sugar and shifts the body into ketosis. Ketosis, simply put, is when ketones are present. Ketogenic therapy isn't just about taking away carbs and getting into ketosis. It matters what you are including nutrition-wise that is kidney protective. It also greatly matters what the protein burden generated through diet is on your kidneys, and both 100% matter to slow progression of PKD and to help prevent loss of kidney function. Now let's get to some frequently asked questions and answers. First up, can you do keto with PKD? My short answer is yes. However, you need the support to do the right type of keto to get the right nutrients and the right balance for your kidney health. If you do keto, that is one of those media and marketed ketos, you have the potential to hurt your kidneys and do damage. Second question, should you do keto for PKD? My answer to this is that ketogenic therapy is an option for PKD, and it is an opportunity that you have. That does not mean that it is good or right for everybody. I have seen that keto is not beneficial for everyone. It doesn't fit into their lifestyle. They have other things going on that is counterintuitive for it. But what I want you to hear is that it's important to find out if it is something that would benefit you, both your quality of life and your health. Can keto reverse kidney disease? The answer is we don't know. Can it help with kidney disease? The answer is that absolutely studies have shown that ketogenic therapy done with the help of a professional and in the right way can help impact things that cause kidney damage like blood pressure and diabetes. Question, is keto hard on the kidneys? My answer is it absolutely can be. A lot of the popular 
weight loss keto or that that is out there like bulletproof is hard on the kidneys. And with PKD, if you do these forms of ketogenic therapy long-term, you have the potential to do damage. And that's exactly opposite what you're trying to do. The next question I get was, how do I protect my kidneys on a keto diet? The way that you protect them is you have the right balance and macronutrients for you. That's the right protein, carb, and fat for you, which someone who understands keto for the kidneys can help you get set up. More on this in the next episode. And last but not least is, will keto cause kidney stones? And the answer is yes, it can. Kidney stones are associated with keto and they are associated with Medo keto. But if you do a more plant-based ketogenic therapy, those risks of developing kidney stones are greatly diminished. All right, folks, that's a lot of information coming to you today in this first episode of our three-part series. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Like I said, I really love questions and what you have to look forward to in episode two of this ketogenic therapy series is what to consider when starting ketogenic therapy. That's going to be a good one. The last and third episode is going, I'm going to highlight my top five mistakes I see in the PKD community with ketogenic therapy. I really believe that knowing what your opportunities are with PKD and understanding them so that if it is right for you, you can do it in a safe and delicious way is super important for the PKD community to have. Until next time, happy eating and hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss the rest of this series.